Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and let me just briefly show you a verse from Axiom 11 that will help us with Axiom 12. Luke chapter 16, Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus. Before I comment on that, let me say something to our children that meet with Miss Carrie once a month and her helpers and participate in Joy Club. And one of the things that she has taught you recently about prayer is to end your prayers in Jesus' name. Because the name of Jesus opens heaven's door. The name of Jesus terrifies the devil. The name of Jesus has power in that name. And no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. It is one part of our worldview. And so back there with axiom number eight, the devil is real. Axiom number nine, the devil hates God, hates truth, and hates us. When we pray, that shatters the devil and the demons. They know Jesus. Acts chapter 19 says, Jesus we know. They know him. And so, children, what you are being taught and emphasized by Miss Carrie is very good. And I just wanted to remind you about praying in the name of Jesus. Don't ever let that final closing remark of our prayers in Jesus' name, amen, become old, dead, dry. It is powerful. And in John 16, we were there a few months ago. Do you remember where Jesus told his apostles that no powerful prayers had ever been offered on earth yet the way that he was about to tell them? If you'll go to the Father and pray in my name, oh yes, things will happen when you pray in my name. No one had ever prayed in the name of Jesus. The apostles had been with him for three and a half years, but they hadn't prayed in the name of Jesus. They hadn't been taught to pray in that name. John had never baptized the name of Jesus yet. Things were changing, and they were powerful things because they involved Jesus Christ our Lord, the King of the universe, the blessed and only potentate. Now to Luke 16, the rich man is in hell, and he's begging Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brothers so that he might convert them that they wouldn't go to hell. Verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, no, they don't listen and they don't pay attention in church. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And that is true, total depravity, and that's the depravity, death, and corruption that we have in sin because of our first parents' choice in the Garden of Eden. Axiom number 12, God saved unconditionally. God saved unconditionally. If God does not intervene by divine power and save us unconditionally, no one will be saved. Heaven will be empty. The book of life will have no names in it if a name in the book of life depends on us either believing or obeying, either being baptized or obeying, we wouldn't do it because of our depravity. When we debate or discuss salvation with anyone, we go first to depravity. And that was our rules, our axioms, number 10 and 11. Because death and corruption is everywhere, including our spirits, 
and men hate truth. And so to present truth to a man that hates truth is to do him no good at all. The, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. And so God made all the difference by saving us. Amen. To the Greeks, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block because there's no signs with it. But to them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Look at the three responses to the gospel and the one that is the, the, the different one the one that receives the gospel is by divine intervention. It's by God saving unconditionally and regenerating them. Any scheme of Catholicism, Arminianism, or any other ism cannot save, for man is a depraved rebel. He will not do whatever conditions are set before him that are true and righteous. Unconditional salvation is something we know, and I don't want to get off track and start a long series or a long explanation about unconditional salvation. If you care to know the details, God has shown us in seven proofs of unconditional salvation on our website a nice way of summarizing what the Bible has to say about the gift of eternal life. And you can just look up seven proofs. You can look up the word unconditional, and it's going to give you our document and sermon and a Bible study to listen to. I don't want to do that right now. The scope of salvation from the guilt and penalty that we had and that we deserved, the cost of salvation, the benefits of salvation are tremendous. And God gave it to us unconditionally. The penalty of three deaths he undoes by the one death of his son. The cost of it, his son that he gave for us. He, cru he had a son crucified for us. The cost is great. The benefits are to inherit the universe and to live with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, forever. Thank you, blessed God. Number 12, God saved unconditionally. The universe exists as the stage for this drama. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And for the next 11 verses, it just runs on and on at the end of Romans chapter 8 about God's great blessings toward us with unconditional salvation. It is in that passage, predestination is declared. It is in that passage, election is declared. It is in that passage that God gave the gift of His Son and He will not withhold anything from anyone to whom He has given the gift of His Son. In that passage, it says that there is no creature in heaven, earth, or hell that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that is what we believe about salvation. And this changes our religion. This changes how we worship from the world. And even from most Christians, God saved unconditionally. The choice that God made to override the choice that we had made in Eden is sovereign power for eternity. Incredible. His sovereign choice to override our choice, to save us against our will. If you ever feel sorry about that we don't believe in free will, you are very confused about your state. Thank God He saved us against our will or we wouldn't be saved. If He dealt with us after our will, we'd all be in hell because we choose the sins that lead to hell. The Great Commission was not for eternal life. 
and was fulfilled. Hell is not your burden for any soul. That's the burden that is put on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is able. He's the only one with the shoulders big enough for that burden. And we thank God that He chose one from among the people. And by the obedience of one, many shall be given the gift of eternal life, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So number 12, axiom number 12, God saved unconditionally, which leads us to number 13. Religion has a limited role. I don't like saying those words until I explain them because you might think something evil of me or of the words. Religion has a limited role because God saved unconditionally. This is our worldview. Now we've already hinted at it. All of you were nodding and agreeing when I said the Great Commission is fulfilled, and I don't know any of you living as if it weren't fulfilled, because if we believe for even five minutes that the Great Commission wasn't fulfilled, do you know what kind of efforts we would put forth to save every person within striking distance of our houses? Thank you, Lord, for saving us from that burden. We know that many others are burdened with that unfulfilled commission. They don't take it very seriously. And so the whole Word of God is diluted down and into nothing, basically, because no one really lives like the Great Commission is still depending on them. But it's not. Religion has a limited role. Here's why. Most religions offer eternal life by rules that they make up for their control over their constituents. So religion has a limited role. Religion is not our way to heaven. Jesus Christ is our way to heaven. Religion is our way to knowing truth, worshiping in spirit and in truth, prosperous living, life success, peace, joy, hope is by our religion. But it doesn't get us to heaven. It's Jesus Christ that gets us to heaven. Worldview axiom number 13 is important. Because if you don't believe it, then religions have the ability and power over you to get you under their thumb by reason of the fear of death. By reason of the fear of death. And if you read Hebrews chapter 2 last night, you read that in verse 14, where Jesus Christ destroyed the work of the devil, who, who all their lifetimes were subject to bondage through fear of death. That's combining verses 14 and 15. Let me explain further about axiom number 13. Religion has a limited role. Let me say it again. Most religions offer eternal life by the rules that they've made for control. Egypt. Egypt. Their king was also God. Their king and God could tell the citizens of Egypt what to do. Build me a pyramid. And if you die in the process you know that you'll go to the heaven of the Egyptians. Japan had its kamikaze soldiers and pilots, and they had their hari-kari rights, hari-kari rights, and it was to be to please the emperor, who was also divine in their understanding. We have Islam today, who thinks that they can get their 72 palm trees by blowing themselves up in a market someplace in the world. And so when you have a religion that gives the rules for getting to heaven, that religion can bring you under its control with the greatest leverage 
that there is known to man, and that is the fear of death and the desire for heaven. We don't have that. I don't have any of that control over you. This church doesn't have any of that control over you. So the religion that we practice has a limited role in that it doesn't get us to heaven. And that saves us from the isms of the world that control their people by the promise of heaven or the fear of death or the fear of hell. We fear hell. We fear death in certain respects. And we desire heaven, but we focus all of that on one person able to get us there, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. Amen. The truth that we have is, has eternal life as an unconditional gift by God to those He chose by grace to save. We just read and sang in that song in the fifth verse, out of the six verses, "'Twas all thy grace that brought us to obey while suffering others to go, which we chose as our way, even to the regions of woe. We chose the regions of woe by our lifestyle, but God chose against us by grace, and yet he let others go. And I'll say more on that in just a moment when we come to the Lord's table, in a few moments, when we come to the Lord's table. This truth that I'm sharing with you saves men from manipulation by priests, due to the fear of death. When I have at times visited St. Mary's downtown Greenville, just to be reminded of the man of sin, just to be reminded of how much superstition, ignorance, and error there is in Catholics and in Catholicism, to see widows rolled in on their wheelchairs, thumbing the rosary all the way through the Mass. It's not that the Mass is good enough. They're doing the rosary all the way through Mass. They're double-dipping. They're triple-dipping if she bought a candle on the way in or on the way out. She may have quadruple-dipped if she had got herself to the holy chrism and got a little bit on her forehead and sprinkled it on herself. Because of the manipulative effect and fear of Roman Catholicism that you need our rules to get to heaven and you need our rules to save you from hell. Thank you, Lord, for axiom number 13. Therefore... Membership, ministers, rituals, ordinances, or sacraments do not save men. So that changes how we view religion. Jesus has already saved us. And what position is he in? I need to know what position he's in right now. Seated. Yes, he's at the right hand of God. That's his location. But I'm being picky. His position is seated because he's done with his work. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Paul could mock death because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. No one could make Paul afraid of death because Jesus Christ had already given him the complete victory over death. I think Agnes understood that. She didn't care what the Catholics were going to do to her. And those of you that are listening, if you look at our website, you will find for May 5th, 2019 a martyr's memorial made about an Agnes that we have enjoyed hearing about today. Christianity is a liberating religion that saves men from superstition and evil bondage. It is. One of the reasons America is great, and yes, it's been mentioned by our brother about the preaching of the gospel, but America is great because Christianity is a liberating religion. It saves us from superstition. It saves us from manipulative men. It saves us from a priestly order that determines if we go to heaven or hell. 
It's powerful. When a man is freed from other men and he's only answerable to God, that kind of a man is capable of anything good. He is fearless of men. He does not care if one man, ten men, or all men hate him, despise him, or condemn him. He will fearlessly go on, may I say her name again, like Agnes did. Christianity is liberating. It saves men from superstition and evil bondage to other men. Instead of religion, providing the rules to get to heaven, it is rather the evidence of those that are going. So it definitely has its place. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, that we visit the widows and the fatherless in their affliction, and we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And so we have a rule of order for our lives that's religious. We, ha- we are told how to worship in the Bible, but it's not what we do that gets us to heaven. It's what He did that gets us to heaven, and that liberates us from men, and we can go be everything we should be in all the other parts of life. You know, what, what does a man accomplish when he blows himself up in a market with his wife, his children, his grandchildren, his siblings, and his whole family, and his church? What contribution does he make? It's just insanity of the devil because the devil is a destroyer. He's a destroyer. He's a badin in Hebrew and he's a polyon in Greek and they both mean the same thing, the destroyer. The devil's a destroyer when it's his religion. Our religion is a liberator. This is way off the subject, but every woman in here better thank God that she was born in a Christian nation. And I don't care what you think about your husband. I don't care what you think about the husbands of America. You just need to come and see me if you think that uh, you have a rough life. Because women in other nations have a rough life. Christianity is liberating. It is wonderful. In its practical implications. Instead of man getting the glory by faith or works for heaven, it's all of God's grace and he gets all the glory. So all of our axioms are kind of tied together, aren't they? Everything is for the glory of God. If God only saved those who saved themselves, then we would get the glory and He wouldn't. I remember once upon a time, a number of years ago, asking a Baptist pastor, which system of salvation gives God the most glory? And he said, the one that you're preaching does by far. And I hope that you all will think about that. It gives God all the glory. When we get to heaven... You know, 1 Corinthians 1 tells us exactly what's going to happen because it says that he's arranged things in such a way that no flesh should glory in his presence. But let him that glorieth glory in this. You know, then it goes on to talk about the fact that God has saved us because by him are we in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us righteousness, redemption, sanctification, and wisdom. It's all of him. It's all by him. It's all for him. It's all to him. It's all His Son. And we know that, but see, right now I'm taking it and putting it into your worldview. It changes the effect and bondage that religion can have on us. Do you know the hopelessness of the Jehovah's Witnesses? That only 144,000 make it? Only 144,000 make the cut. How big's the cut for heaven? A multitude that no man can number. That ain't 144,000. It's a multitude that no man can number out of every tribe, tongue, kindred, people, and nation. Thank you, Lord. 
religion and preaching are to maximize our worship of God, our life success as His children here on earth, our peace with Him, our prosperity, our joy, our hope. All of those things are the blessings we get from our religion, but it is not a path to heaven unless you are talking about the fact that Jesus is the one standing in that path. Then I will allow that terminology. But we don't need anyone else to help us get to heaven, and that is liberating, and that changes our worldview. So many are looking at the world. They need to make it to Mecca. They need to make it to Rome. They need to make it to the priest. They need extreme unction. They need to, they, they, uh, they need to blow themselves up in a market. They need to get to the Ganges. They need to dip in the filthiest river on earth. What, look at us. We're liberated, and it's our worldview. We get up in the morning, we don't think about Mecca. We get up in the morning, we don't even think about Jerusalem on earth. We think about Jerusalem and heaven, and we know that we're already citizens there, and our names are written in the role of citizenship because our names are in the book of life. Number 14. Axiom number 14, Jesus is the preeminent one. Jesus is everything. It is all about Him. For a few of these axioms, we need to look at our religion, our worship, our doctrine, and then we will be looking at practical aspects again. But the Lord arranged this timing. You can tell that I am going faster because indeed I wanted to get to number 14 before we had the Lord's Supper. And it's the last one before the Lord's Supper. Number 14, Jesus is preeminent. Amen. It's not Buddha. It's not Gandhi. It's not Muhammad. It's Jesus. Jesus is the preeminent one of our worldview, and it affects how we look at life and how we look at religion. The universe exists. I believe this with all my heart. You've heard it from me so many times. The universe exists as the stage for God to put on a drama with His glory as the great object, and His glory is by His Son at the center of the drama and the center of the universe, a God-man. God became man, came to earth for God to glorify himself to the entire universe, including the angels, which I sent you yesterday to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, we passively receiving God's blessings of salvation, the manifold wisdom of God. Did you all understand the text? It's an obscure verse in the Bible but I hope it's not obscure, obscure after I showed it to you. Did you keep reading that sentence to where it said that we have access by the faith of Him? We have access into the throne room of God by the Lord Jesus Christ. Though the angels were thrown out of heaven, we're brought into heaven. It's incredible. It's all because of Him. It's all by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the manifold wisdom and the many-faceted wisdom and designed by God of saving us by His Son. Look at Colossians chapter 2 with me. Colossians chapter 2. This is, I'm not getting off track. We have to keep the Lord Jesus Christ preeminent, or we get our worldview messed up, because God has arranged the universe to honor His Son. God loves His Son, Jesus. And when we lose sight of that fact, we are outside the right worldview. We start losing. We start making wrong distinctions and priorities. It's all about Him. God has chosen to reveal Himself through His Son, by His Son, to us. 
Jesus is preeminent. It's unconditional salvation by Jesus. It's unconditional salvation for Him to get all the glory in heaven. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, beware. This is a worldview that we got to beware of. Colossians 2, 8, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We have something different from every philosophy, every religion. Islam doesn't have it. God became man. There is no comparison between Jesus Christ and Muhammad. Jesus Christ was a prophet, but Jesus Christ was a whole lot more than a prophet. Jesus Christ was a better prophet than Muhammad was ever a prophet because Muhammad the prophet never prophesied anything. Jesus Christ prophesied many things, and they have either come to pass or will come to pass. Every single one of them, it's all about him. This is philosophy that will lead us astray by thinking there's any other worldview that doesn't have Jesus Christ at the center of it because the view of the universe had better see Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man. God became man, yes. It sounds something like this. Great is the mystery of godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, received up into glory. That's our worldview. The whole universe revolves around those wonderful things. That man came to be our Savior. That God-man is our Lord. That God-man we're going to celebrate and remember in just a few minutes. This is our worldview. You say it sounds too spiritual. It is, our worldview is spiritual. You say it sounds too invisible. He's coming visibly. Don't push me. Jesus is the center of our worldview. We had to start with God is, because that's how the Bible starts. And until God gave us the Bible, we don't even know about this God-man. We don't even know that there's an alternative philosophy. And the alternative philosophy is Christianity. It's Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our alternative philosophy. Look at that warning there. Don't let any man spoil you. You that are going to worldly colleges and universities, I'm looking right at you, David. You that are going to worldly colleges and universities, don't let anyone spoil you. Our worldview has one at the center of it, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not George Washington. It's not Martin Luther King Jr. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Always him. He's the preeminent one. God is an invisible spirit. We know this from the Bible. We know so much. We know everything. Everything that we need to know, everything that we should know, everything that we should want to know, we know from the Bible. God is an invisible spirit. The Bible says it over and over. He's real, he's present, he's active, but he's an invisible spirit. Jesus revealed him to us, the express image of the invisible God. It says that in the Bible. You get to look at something that's invisible. You get to look at God in the visible form of the Lord Jesus Christ, his character, his conduct, his words, his preaching, his doctrine, his life. Fantastic. This is our religion. It's our worldview. We have a God-man on our side. We have a God-man on our side that is the prince of the kings of the earth, so we never worry about the earth. All the armies of the earth could get together, march on the camp of God. Did we read a verse that said they're going to do that? That the devil's going to go out and deceive all the nations again and bring them all together, Gog and Magog, and they're going to surround the camp of the saints? Okay. 
that's going to happen. Jesus Christ is on our side and he's going to rain fire down from heaven and burn them all up. That sounds pretty good. Okay, then you worry about the devil. But the devil might get me. The devil's going to do this. The devil's going to do that. Resist the devil and he'll flee. And Jesus Christ has already defeated him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say, go ahead. Go ahead. You kick him into the lake of fire. That's what it says. First Corinthians 6. First, first few verses. First Corinthians 6. Go read it. We shall judge angels. He knows it. I just need you to know it. He already knows it. Our religion. Jesus is the preeminent one. Jesus rules the universe to inherit all things. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, he told his apostles. Reprobates play with our labels. But dating is still B.C. and A.D., isn't it? What goes through you when you see C.E.? Yes, thank you. That's, that's the right word. Rage. When we see the current era or anything about the current era, it's before Christ and it's after Christ. Jesus is the dividing of time in the 6,000-year history of this world. That's our worldview. And brethren, you all, you know, we, let's not call them brethren. World, reprobates, when you sign your checks, you're agreeing with our worldview by signing your checks and giving it a date that is based on the head of our worldview and the center of our universe, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And they still do it, don't they? They can't get away from it. The Lord's left himself a testimony in the earth. And we have the testimony of Jesus, and we love him, by whom the whole time is divided of human history. All doctrine and practice must keep him preeminent. You're at Colossians 2. Look back on the page to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's the head of our church. It's not your pastor. It's not some board of elders. It's no one. It's not trustees. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. All the fullness is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we keep it that way. And we look at the whole universe, the whole 6,000 years of human history, the creation of the angels, the fall of a third of them. We see all of that as a stage drama and extras, extras, guess what you are? Hold on. Extras around the star who is the Lord Jesus Christ and us with him. We are the sons of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ of the universe. We are the stars of the drama. It's amazing to say it. It's, it's painful to say it because our flesh is so weak, but that is the truth of the Bible. We are, we are the inner circle. The angels are the outer circle. We will be welcomed into heaven as the children of God and the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ and will rule the universe with him. Praise the Lord. So that is part of our worldview. So that we look at the whole universe, what is it here for? What is Pluto here for? Pluto's an extra. I'm asking you to think of drama. A movie. Pluto's an extra. It brings a little bit of glory to God, but what's going to bring him the greatest glory? His son bringing many sons home to glory. That's going to give him glory, is bringing many sons to glory by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is the preeminent one. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14. Paul dumbed down his preaching to make sure that he had weeded out all the Greek philosophizing out of it so that he could preach Christ crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. 
He is far above all men and angels, especially popes, priests, apostles, and prophets, and politicians. They're all inferior to him. He owns them all. He rules them all. This is our worldview. And so even when we're tracking through part of our worldview about truth, about doctrine, about the church, about the gospel, about worship, we come up with Jesus as the preeminent one, and we want to keep him that way every day. We want to live for him every day. We've taken his name as a Christian. That means a little Christ. That means a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's live up to that name that we have taken. God loves his son, made him firstborn in all ways, and laughs at his enemies that would ever try to stop or hinder him from putting his son on his throne. Read Psalm 12 and all two and all 12 verses of it whenever you need to be reminded of that wonderful fact. He will have them in strong derision, and that is the kings of the earth. Never worry about politics. They're little sandbox games. They're playing with the little bit of sand God's given them. I want more. I want some of your sand. If you don't play with me just right, I'm going to go home. And you'll get all my sand if I do that. But it's little compared to what God's doing. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to give us a new heaven and new earth with brand new sand. He's going to change this. There's going to be a lot of glass. That's melted sand. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and he is going to bless us abundantly. He's coming again to judge the universe as he taught so clearly in John chapter 5, the Father's committed all judgment into the hands of the Son. That's S-O-N. So when we look at the universe and we, we think about life and we look at world politics and we look at health and longevity and America, is she, is she great now? Is she, is she great? Is she, all, the thoughts that, all the thoughts that we think about, there is a preeminent reason for the whole world existing. And it's the drama that is playing out with God getting glory through his son that he loves and we want to love that son and that son has saved us by his broken body and shed blood and we love him for it and we will do anything for him for him for doing that for us he is king of kings and lord of lords when the apostle paul was with those philosophers in athens he says god has given assurance unto all men that he is sending his son back to rule this earth and to judge this earth by raising him from the dead. Everything moves toward the son, toward the son. Genesis 3, we heard about the seed of the woman. Abraham, the seed of Abraham. David, the son of David. We just kept hearing about it through 4,000 years of history. Then he came. Now we look back, but not really. We only look back a little bit. Then we look forward. Because what he did back there 2,000 years ago paid for what he's going to come and do to this world any time soon. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.